Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 122 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. I am really excited about today's guest. Today's guest is Michael. He is Liel's dad, and he was just so much fun to talk to. Michael actually has a podcast of his own, and I was a guest on his podcast last week. So if you want to uh, listen to the two of us there, you can go to his podcast. It is called Bereaved But Still Me, and you can hear us talking there as well as us talking here. So you can hear us talk about Andy on his podcast and us talk about Liel on this podcast like I said before, he was so fun to talk to. Last week, we probably spoke for about an hour between our interview time and post-interview time. Today, we spoke for an hour with the interview, and then I spoke to him for at least another hour after that. He is just a really interesting guy and has a great perspective on life, and I learned a ton from him. I know you all will really enjoy this conversation that the two of us have. I actually plan to have him on again at some point in time, just because I feel like he has so many different perspectives to talk about. He's from an entirely different part of the world with uh, different cultural expectations, and I think that's fun to explore with him a little bit as well. So right now, I just want you to sit back and enjoy listening to Michael, Liel's dad. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael, on the Always Andy's Mom podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. I, You know, it's fun that I am having a lot of people from all over recently. So nice. I know people have been asking. I think I just had somebody on from Australia. I've got somebody on from Australia next week as well. And so now you are joining us from Israel. That's right. That's right. So again, we've got the big time difference, but not quite as much as last time um, with my uh, woman from Australia. That was quite, my room was dark and hers was bright and cheery. <laughs> it was about twice the distance. Yeah, I know it is. It is. So you're like close. You're like a neighbor now. Seven hours. So why don't you start out just by telling us a little bit about your daughter, Liel, maybe starting sure. out by even that beautiful name that she has. I am going to tear up. Liel means God is with me, oh. Liel, and um, not the most common of Hebrew names, but you notice a lot of names end in L, Michael, Michael. Gabriel, they all end in L. It's a, that's Daniel? calling on God's Daniel. You know, it's calling on God's name. Uh, so he must have been with her because she had a very difficult birth, and she came 
two weeks late, which is not typical for a child with a heart disease. No. And no, they usually come early. Uh, she liked it where she was. She We had a false alarm about a week earlier, and she said, no, not yet. They sent us home. She had a very difficult birth. We tried to have a natural birth, but our second child, or my first daughter before her, was a cesarean. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to have a natural birth, and at the last minute, they decided to rush, her, rush my wife, Leora, downstairs to uh, surgery. And they told me later that, they were very, very lucky. They said the doctor just touched it and it opened right up. Oh. And, which means we nearly lost everybody. Right. But right, we lost right. nobody and we, we gained Liel that day and she had a very difficult trip. And when I went to see Leora later, she said, I'm not asking you. Her name is Liel. And I just went, okay. And it's funny because it was, I think, maybe 10 years later or longer that I suddenly realized I, I should have disagreed. Now, let me explain that. Uh, I'm from European Jewish families, and my wife Liara is from Yemenite Jewish families. And in the East, they have no, they have no problem naming children after their parents. Mm-hmm. In Europe, we don't, we don't do that. We think it's actually not a very good thing to do. It didn't click, but Liel is actually the beginning of Liora and the end of Michael. Liel. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. And what's really weird is the only reason I got that was because my wife at the time was a really big fan of the bold and the beautiful. Okay. And they just had a, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> my better. grandma mocked that. So that just brings back a lot of grandma memories. I know, but Leora could not get enough of it. And and uh, what were the name? Uh, Ridge and, and Brooke, they had a child and they named it Bridget, which was the putting the two names together. And okay. it was only because of that that, you know, waiting for Leora to finish watching the show because I couldn't talk to her for a half hour. I said, wait a minute, we just did that. That's really bad. Because <laughs> we did it like 10 years before. But Ooh. That is so funny. But it's a beautiful wow. name and everybody everybody thinks it it's okay. Name. It is. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And it means God is with me and, and he surely was because for all her trials and tribulations, she was a very happy kid who almost never was upset. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. Let me tell you a little bit more about her. She was born with a double outlet right ventricle, which is a very complicated heart. Basically, it means that the aorta, was on the, the vessel that carries the blood out to the body, was on the wrong side of the heart. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that blood is going to leave that heart and go to her body. So what happened? How did she live? Uh, the way the doctor put it, nature sometimes com- complements one defect with another defect that helps. And so mm-hmm. she had a VSD which was a hole in the wall. So the, the, the blood, the oxygen blood would spill over to the, to the other side and find its way out. And you can live like that for not too long. So at age two, more or less, they did the Rastelli procedure, which is they um, build a bridge to the VSD. And no, sorry, they use the VSD to build a bridge and the blood is now directed towards the aorta and she has a four chamber heart that works. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they also suspected, and, and they were right, that the VSD over time tends to try and close itself. So Absolutely. That is a normal thing that happens. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we monitor that. Right, it does. But but it didn't close enough that it was going to, you know, affect her, you know, it wasn't dangerous, but it did start to close. So they had to widen that hole, the VSD, so that they could use it to draw the blood across to where it needed to go. And the danger of that is that the natural pacemaker of the heart is right there in that wall. Mm-hmm. And so to save her, they had to give her, they basically had to trade up to a different heart disease. 
she lost her ability to pace her heart. And so she had a hundred percent heart block. And so she was awarded that same day, a pacemaker at age two. Well, and it's interesting to see some, somebody might say, well, why did they do that? But you can't actually see the spot that's pacing. So you don't actually know when you're in there where that location is. It's not like other things where you can like say, well, this is the pineal gland and this is the right, thyroid. Right, right. Or, and it doesn't look any different on the heart, but that is where the electrical impulse then come exactly from. right so exactly. that's why it can be easily kind of you know nicked in a way and, or and they had damaged. no choice right right they, they said going in it's very possible that we're going to need a pacemaker after this and later they said yeah we kind of knew that anyway i mean they presented yeah. it to us as a possibility that we wouldn't need it. and and so, so she was on the heart lung machine two or three times when they were testing right during that during the surgery to see if she needed whoops she needs it and then they mm -hmm. put it in and okay that's a very, very short version of the surgery that she had, and nobody needs to go into it now. Right. So so she, at age two, she got her first pacemaker, and at around age 12, she got her second one. So that was that was pretty good. So so that was her. And then at around, we started noticing that she seemed to not hear very well. So we had her tested, and, and as it turns out she heard only on one side, but that wasn't really the issue. She was diagnosed as autistic at around age four. Okay. And truth be told, and with all great glory to the heart surgeons, autism was, I think, a bigger problem for her and for us than the heart. Yeah. The heart was pretty much taken care of. Right. We needed to keep her away from cell phones, but that was like the only restriction on her heart. No medication, nothing. She was really very good. So that was difficult. And at around age 13, we found a place for her about two hours north of here where she could live and be taken care of better than we could do. And she would be, she was in a home situation. Uh, it was three small apartments, all on ground floor, all in a nice campus. And there were about 21 kids up there and there were lots and lots of help and there were great people around them all the time. And so she went there and she went there very happily. She really enjoyed it. She really, really did. Mm -hmm. And I, I know this because we, I used to bring her home every second weekend and the second week, the, as I think the, the second time she was home, we're having lunch on Saturday afternoon. She says, when am I going home? Now, she asked me that here at home, so I, I know she got it. Um, right. And that was nice. That was very nice. And while she was there, she developed epilepsy about a year and a half after she was there. She developed epilepsy. And everybody laughed. All the people up there said, hey, they don't always tell you this, but every second autistic kid when they hit puberty is going to develop uh, epilepsy. And we know how to take care of it. It's just a question of balance. It's all chemicals. We got this. And it took her quite a long time to get balanced, but she did get balanced and everything's fine. And then one day they called us, you, you got to come up here quickly. She's having a very long seizure. We, you know, she's in the hospital. That never happened before. So I, I ran up there, stayed with her for a couple of hours. Everyone said, it's fine. You know, we can go home. And I did. And then about three weeks after that, I got a phone call. I was working the overnight shift. I got a phone call at about 6.15 in the morning. And I saw it was coming from the home. I knew something was up. Right. And they said, you, you got to get here as soon as you can. She's in the hospital now. She has a, a low blood pressure and a low pulse, but it doesn't look good. They were waking the kids up in the morning like they do every day, and they were showering. And they would shower a kid and then look in on the L and shower a kid and look in on the L and shower a kid and, oh, the L's turning green. 
Wow. And yeah, just like that. I mean, boom. You know, nobody's fault. Just these things happen. The other thing that they don't tell you in epilepsy is until about age 20, or now I find out actually maybe even 25, there's a thing called SUDEP, Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. I see you nodding. I am nodding. And interestingly, my regular listeners will have known that too, because you, because we've had three yeah, sure. former pa- parents on the show whose children have died from SUDEP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, our daughter's pediatrician is an excellent diagnostician. And uh, she also didn't mention it because I guess there's no point in mentioning it. It just scares people uselessly. I think I've asked every parent if they wished somebody had told them that this could be a possibility and every single one has said no. What would you say to that? I, I can't tell you. I don't know. Yeah. I do know if I had known, I would have been a nervous wreck every single day. Yes. And that I would never have been able to make the two-hour drive home and back to, to her home if she was in the backseat of my car. And I think, oh, this could happen at any moment. I'd probably explode. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I was better off not knowing, but I'm not sure if I want, would want to know. Right. To be honest, I can't answer that. Right. I can't answer that. I don't know. In any case, she was a wonderful diagnostician. And she called me that morning about some other matter completely. And I said, listen, I'm really, really busy right now. I'm heading up north. My daughter is uh, in, she's had some kind of seizure. It doesn't seem to be ending soon. We've got a real issue here and I got to get up there fast. And she broke it to me. She said, it sounds like SUDEP. And that's apparently what was happening. And, and she would have died very quickly, but they rushed her to the hospital. And that was a Friday morning. And they kept her on, I think, till Monday night. Mm-hmm. So we were watching her go in slow motion, which was really horrible. Oh, that is horrible. Yeah, you know, once. And there were some excellent doctors up north, and there were some less than excellent doctors. Yeah. But the head of the um, pediatric ICU put us into it right away. We got there at about a quarter to 12 in the afternoon, and he was going off duty at 12, so he was waiting to talk to us. And he said, you've got two choices, bad and really bad. And really bad is that she might wake up. Yeah. Because the amount of brain damage by then it was untold. It wouldn't possibly know. She would never, if she would survive this, she would never smile. She would never get out of bed. She would be in tubes and she could live forever. Yeah. So that was what he called really bad as opposed to just bad, which of course is what happened. So that that was really tough. That was really tough. We kind of thought it wasn't going to happen that way. We knew that her life wouldn't be as long as maybe ours, but I would love to have seen her make 50 and not 15. And I think there was a chance without that that she would have made at least 50. Kids with um, with double outlet right ventricle are surviving this generation into adulthood. Many of them are over 50. It's a very rare condition. There aren't that many of them, but they're doing much, much better, and pacemakers are great, and surgery is great. And as far as their heart, wasn't much of a concern. Mm-hmm. And even the autism, kids can live you know, forever. Oh, yeah, a long, so, long time. Especially yeah. in that kind of setting that she had, that really nice supportive that setting. That was wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to. Have, uh, I would have liked for her to outlive me. I would have liked to at least see her make fifty, which would have put me way into my eighties, and I'd be very happy with that. Right. right. But things work out the way they do, and part of my faith is that things tend to work out the way they should. Mm-hmm. And so I took a very accepting view of it and i skipped right over all the other stages i didn't deny it i didn't there was no anger he he told me bad or really bad and i just went right to it which was good because i was able to save my family because they were doing the regular route my son 
Idan, my daughter, Sapir, my wife, Liara, would sit by and read from Psalms, which is what you do in the Jewish tradition when somebody's sick. And they were praying, and so was I, but I was praying in a sort of a different way. They were, they were praying for her to be better. And I was praying for her to be well, to be safe. But I understood what was coming. And I remember one of my kids said to me, you don't have any faith. And I said, oh, I have buckets of faith. It's just not like yours. He was telling me we're going to make her better. She might not even be autistic when, when we're finished, whatever it is yeah. we do. And I said, well, that's nice. And there's the wall. I hope you have a helmet, but I want you to run straight into that wall and tell me how you feel when you get there because that's what you're doing. And everyone thought I was crazy. Nobody listened to me. But in the end, I was there to catch them, right? Because they all came falling off that wall. Yeah, it is hard. I've spoken to lots of people and lots of grieving parents now. And when you pray and expect the miracle Mm -hmm. and it doesn't happen it can be so unbelievably devastating to them yeah you know yeah and and that's the thing i had set in my mind years before that if if he took her i was going to be finished that was it we just weren't going to have a relationship me and god anymore and that didn't happen Mm mm-hmm it did not happen. I think maybe I even got a little bit stronger. And and the reason is because I understood in my way that faith is not necessarily transactional. You give me stuff if I'm good. Yeah. And that's a kind of faith. And people will say that, oh, please, God, just get me through this exam and I promise to be a good person. And, and they'll get through the exam because they find some constraints to do it. But faith is also understanding that sometimes the answer is no, and there are things you can't control. And if you can accept that there are things that I can't control, but things tend to work out the way they should, then you are in a position to accept the difficult moments. Yeah, I have a dear friend of mine that was at a Bible study one time, and a very distraught young woman came into the church, and she had apparently just been at a prenatal ultrasound, and had found out that her baby had died. Yep. And so they, she came in just begging for prayer from this group of these women, and they all started praying for that miracle for the baby to be alive the next day. And <clears throat> my friend was just kind of horrified, and as yeah. was I, because... What happens to that woman the next if day it, when she when it goes doesn't happen and that baby's still right. gone? Because right. you know, I'm a doctor. I'm not expecting I mean not, I get I guess miracles can happen, right? But I certainly wouldn't expect that to happen. And they did not do her a service that day because no, they no. really could have prayed for her in an entirely different way to give her support. Right. To find acceptance, mm-hmm. to find understanding, to find I mean, it just was just the wrong way that I feel like they went about doing that because I expect that that next day she ended up having to have the DNC like they had planned and that that's what ended up happening that day. And then what's her faith now? Well, I I want to say something to to the credit of those people who prayed for that. I don't want to say that's bad. No, no. And I don't want to say it's wrong, but I think it, it is a certain denial. I just think it was a lost opportunity. For something that they could have done yes. better. Yes. Yeah, I agree with Instead you on that. Instead of only praying, because they only prayed that that baby would be alive the next day. Right. That's 
all they prayed. And that was not the right thing to pray. The thing, right thing to pray is for God to surround himself around her and to right. bring her peace and comfort. And that right. if, if we could find it to bring that baby back, that would be wonderful. But if not, mm-hmm. you know, the love that we can give, right, is to right. – is, anyway, I think it was a missed opportunity. Is, is kind of my point. I agree. We had a number of miscarriages before we had our first child. Mm-hmm. And then we had another one after Leo. So the message was clear. But uh, our first miscarriage was the longest one. It was, it was at five months. Okay. All the others were in the early weeks. This was at five months. So she was showing, couldn't deny it. Everybody knew something, mm-hmm. something that we don't like to talk about. You know, that's another crazy Jewish thing. We don't talk about it until the baby is actually out. But you couldn't deny it, and it was there, and, and five months, and, and you know we were thinking about furniture and all kinds of stuff, and and then the baby died, and and we saw it coming in slow motion because it was CMV, and we saw what was happening, and oh. there was a separation, and we we knew it was going badly, and and but this was our first time. A member of my wife's family called me up. Now the baby was already dead, and we were already scheduled to go in and and do what needs to be done, and um, he said, I spoke to a rabbi, don't do it. Here's what you do. And he gave me a formula of things to say and do. And said, you know what? No, I'm going to hang up and please don't talk to my wife. All right? Because the last thing we needed was this false sense of hope. The baby was already gone. Yeah. Okay, so the kind of prayer that we needed, the kind of faith that we needed, was something that brings us towards acceptance Mm-hmm. And not miracles. You know, one of the things in Judaism is you're not allowed. It's wrong to expect a miracle. You can pray for a miracle. You can hope for a miracle. But it's wrong to expect a miracle. And if you do, it is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. By definition, miracles are unexpected, right? Miracles are, wow, I didn't see that coming, right? Right. So right. a miracle is when the, the sea parts and, and a nation walks across the dry land. That's a miracle. Mm-hmm. If you know anything about having children, and of course, doctor, you do, it is such a complicated event, and everything has to go exactly right for nine months, and then the delivery has to be perfect. The miracle is that anybody is ever born. That's a miracle. That's true. That's a miracle. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, I think my faith, anyway, is more about acceptance. I can't tell you that it's not transactional sometimes. Right, what my my brother, the rabbi, calls foxhole faith. Clearly, yeah, right. There are some days, like if you know, I was in a car accident, and I'm thinking, just get me out of this. But in most cases, and 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 one doesn't counteract the other. There isn't a right faith or a wrong faith. There's different kinds of faith. But I think in this case, and in the case of your friend, acceptance is a better way to go than trying to create trying to create a miracle. Or you know you. It's not like they couldn't have done a little bit of both, right? I mean, that's that that I think even, would even, have been the best yeah, sure. scenario because that's what she, I mean. The woman came in because she wanted the miracle, right? That's why she came in. Yeah, but most humans can't provide that, <laughs> right? But that's why I think the, a little bit of a combo would have been a better choice at that point. I, I think you're absolutely right, and and I think you're absolutely right, and I understand that. But I, I, I do think that, well, let me, let me put this way. My, my brother uh, did an episode of, on uh, Bereave But Still Me, my podcast, mm-hmm. and he did two episodes. And in the last one, we talked about faith. And he said in Hebrew, there's two, two definitions of faith. 
One is emuna, which is the faith that we know, which is more of a transactional. I believe in God, and God will therefore reward me and give me stuff. And then faith is also bitachon. Bitachon also means security. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm secure in my understanding that God has a handle on this, and that sometimes He knows and does things that I don't know, or I cannot do. Now. We can talk for an hour about what does that mean and what is free will. I'm not saying that God is completely in control. We have free will. It's what makes us humans is that he's given us the, the ability to choose between good and bad, right and wrong. So we have that, that free will, but there are some things that are determined not by us. And, there, and, and faith has to do with acceptance that whether I understand it or not, or whether I like it or not, God's will is what it is, and sometimes I have to eat a little to get through, and, and that's what it is. And as I said, I, I think when I came to that understanding and strengthened my relationship rather than busting it wide open, which is, I think, a good thing. Well, and I understand that kind of, that's interesting that you talk about two different types of faith, actually, because I know right after Andy died, well, it wasn't probably right after, but I did try to go back to a Bible study that I had, and we were studying the Old Testament, and that mm-hmm. portion of the Old Testament, it was very much like the, the God's people messed up, God punished them. God's people did good things, God rewards them. We, and it we was can all talk about very that. much <laughs> like that, and I couldn't handle it after Andy died. I had a very hard time with that because, and, you know, people have said, not to me, but people have said to people that I know, when their child dies, well, you didn't pray hard enough. Like, because if your faith is enough, if you're strong enough, if you're good enough, if you do all the right things, then God will reward you Mm -hmm. and this horrible things will not happen to you. And therefore a horrible thing means you were bad. That can be a little hard to take. So a horrible thing happened to me. So I screwed up, Andy screwed up, somebody messed up because otherwise why would God be punishing me like this? You see? Would, Would it help you if I told you that I don't think this was punishment for you? I don't think God. No, and and I don't I don't think so either. But it just gets so. I don't think God would take Andy, a, a beautiful fourteen year old boy who could sing and play golf yeah. and baseball and everything that was so good in him and so good in life. I don't think God would create that life to dangle it in front of you and punish you. No, I I don't either. But when you're good. in the Bible study that I was in, it was just very much going that way. It was. It was just this kind of, if you do good, then God will reward you, you know, and well, and that, sometimes no. But sometimes not. Sometimes not. I mean, I went to church, it was about a year afterwards, and they were doing something, they were kind of a fundraising kind of thing, and so basically the guy was talking about how his wife had been sick and how he prayed her better, and it just makes me so angry because I've never prayed for anything harder in my life than on the side of the road that day after Andy was after that car accident and it didn't work right so that's what's so hard about that when people then believe that they it's it's giving them more control than what they I, I agree with you they feel like I have this control and if I pray hard enough or I do this hard enough then my wife will get better and I'll make lots of money and I'll have a really good job and all this stuff because all I need to do is just this 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 and pray hard enough okay newsflash you cannot really control God's hand 
<laughs> no. <laughs> no, you really can't. Now, the other thing, the other thing, Judaism talks about that. They face the question of an evil person who seems to be doing well and a righteous person who seems to always have bad luck and, or he's poor or his wife left him or life is going badly for him. How does that work? You know, he's this guy who's been doing good deeds and being right and living right all his life and he's got nothing. And then you see this guy who's a gangster or whatever, or mm -hmm. who, and he's doing great. And so they came up with an interesting answer for that. And, and the answer is you are rewarded or punished for a minority of your deeds in this life and then the majority of your deeds are represented in the next life now we don't spend a lot of time on the next life to be honest we really don't we don't spend a lot of time there it's not a major concern of judaism but it's kind of there it's a fairly new concept it's about two thousand years old it's a fairly new concept so the idea is maybe this person who seems outwardly evil had a child and and, and loved his child or maybe i don't know he it's kind to animals. I don't, so right. he's being rewarded for that now in front of you, right? And maybe this righteous man has been so righteous that it's all built up for the next life. But maybe, I don't know, he cheated uh, on a math test when he was younger. And so he's paying for that now. Okay. Okay. So watch out for people who are doing too well in life because, you know. You just never know. <laughs> you never know what's coming later. But, but, but to be honest, we don't spend a lot of time on the afterlife. It's not a serious concept for us. We just assume that everybody will somehow be in the afterlife. And, and yeah, there is a concept that your sins are, and, and good deeds are sort of measured and sort of weighed. And, and that, that's there. But the real focus of, of Jewish life is the here and the now. Mm -hmm. Right. So you do a good deed or you do something right because it's good to do it. You don't need a better reason than that. Because okay, so they say a good deed is its own reward, right? It's its own reward, which means that you should live well and do well. And Jewish life is concentrated. Jewish life is concerned with how to live in this world now. And it doesn't really pay much attention to the next life. Next life is it'll take care of itself. So I want to go on to talk a little bit more about your faith in... Yeah how that relates to grief though. So last sure. night, so I do a grief support group. I facilitate a group. And last night we were talking about ritual and how in our culture, in American culture, American kind of Christian culture, there is very little ritual related to death. You have a funeral or a memorial service and that's it. That mm. is the only ritual we have. Right. And we were talking about how that really is lacking. And I think back to after Andy died, in those first days even, I remember thinking, I just need something to do. Just yeah, yeah, give yeah. me something to do. Because mm -hmm. I had no idea what to do. I had this right. funeral is sort of happening, but then that's it. And then that's done. And then I have nothing. I have no ritual. And I feel like, you do that so much better in the Jewish tradition. <laughs> and so I want to talk about that yeah. because I really... We're all about grief. <laughs> I just wanted something to do. And I feel like I could have had something to do. <laughs> well, the truth is, the truth is you don't do much. You have a lot of things done around you. But let, yes. let, let me go there. But let there's ritual. There. There's ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. So, and by the way, you talk about American culture. They do it less now in America. Yeah. The, the, those that are less orthodox do less of it, and I think that's a mistake. Anyway, so what happens? First thing you do is uh, you sit Shiva for seven days. So what does that mean? Uh, you come home from the funeral, and you sit on low chairs, and you sort of sit in a position that's roughly biblical 
morning, uh, you don't shave for a week, you cover up the mirrors, some people don't shower, but you're surrounded by family and friends, your community moves in on you. Okay, so there's a constant flow of people coming in to talk to you, to, I don't want to say get your mind off it, but to, to sort of make sure to comfort you to make sure you're not alone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's very comforting to have friends and, and, and family who, who come in close. In my community here in Jerusalem, we have a group whenever somebody is, has suffered a loss, the meal, the meal groups go out to work and we all bring food so mm-hmm. that no one has to cook. It's all very well organized. You're bringing the salads, you're bringing lasagna, you're bringing this, you know, food, mm-hmm. everything. So for seven days you do this and you kind of get cabin fever, which is kind of okay because what I find is that memories after loss go from bitter to bittersweet to bitter, to, sorry, bitter to bittersweet to sweet. And, and that's a good thing. So you start off by saying, gee, I really wish she was with me and I wish she was here and I really miss her. And they start telling stories and you're around a bunch of people, so you start telling the better stories, right? The stories that make people laugh. And so you start smiling when you think of your loved one. By the end of the week, it's a laugh riot. Everyone's on the floor telling stories and, and about how wonderful this person was. And all the memories are good. It still hurts for sure, but all the memories are good. So what you have, and this is only the beginning of the process. The process can be much longer. But for seven days, you are allowed to go as low as you want and feel as bad as you want to feel, but there's always people around you. And by the end of the week, it brings you back up. Okay. Okay. So it's very controlled and it's very nice. A lot of people would ask me, it's one of the things you're really not supposed to ask. People would ask me, how are you doing? How do you feel? It's one of the things you don't ask, but people ask it. So I'd always say, ask me on the eighth day. When, when you're all home feeling good about having done a good deed for me, and I'm alone suddenly when the house had been filled yesterday and then today blank, ask me on the eighth day how I feel because they won't know if it worked. Yeah. You know, it's sad, but you're, you're, and I don't want to minimize the grief, but you have had seven concentrated days where you've got a lot of grief out. You've, you let out a lot of pressure. You let out a lot of steam. I think really, truly showing lament. I think that's a thing that can be. I think so. I think so. I think so. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the first phase is seven days. And then going on to the 30th day, you can, on the eighth day, you can go back to work. Some people do. I took a few extra days. You can go back to work. You can sort of, you have to sort of get up and walk around the block and get into your routine again and see people, right? One of the things they do on the seventh day is when they're finished, they get up and they walk around the block just to be outside. Okay. First of all, you haven't been outside for a week. Okay. Secondly, you need to return to some kind of normality. So there's that. Then up to 30 days, there's the, the, the morning period continues and here there's some difference. In Israel, on the 30th day already, there's a stone, and, and we go to the grave and we reveal a stone. If you've been saying Kaddish, which is a prayer for mourning. I was going to uh, ask you about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. In most cases, Kaddish ends on the 30th day. So okay. if it's a sibling, if it's a child, it's 30 days. If it's a parent, it's 11 months. Okay. I, d- I don't remember why. I asked my brother about that. He gave it on on my podcast, and he gave a really good answer why parents get more. I'm not really sure what the answer is, so I don't want to make a mistake here. And uh, in the U.S., you don't reveal the grave until after 11 months. Okay. Maybe for a child, you would reveal it at 30 days. Maybe just when Kaddish ends. I don't know. But I think, no, and in fact, no, no, because my, my father died here, and on the 30th day, we, we had the stone was in place. But we continued saying Kaddish for 11 months. 
Anyway, so the, the, the general mourning process can take up to 11 months, can be 30 days, depending on who it is. But it's a guided process that takes you through this emotional trip and lets you down easy. It lets you, it brings you back to where you need to be. Now, of course, you're never the same. No. But one of the one of the good things, one of the things you need to do with grief is to learn how to pack it up and keep it with you because it's going to go with you wherever you are. It's going to change you in some way. And I think we have an obligation to keep our loved ones with us and tell their stories, especially people who didn't know them. I mean, that's how we keep them alive, right? We keep them with us in a very living sort of way. But in order to be able to do that, if you've gone through a week of Shiva and 30 days of saying Kaddish, or in the case of a parent saying 11 months saying Kaddish, then yeah, I think you are better equipped for that. I think you've taken the time. It's almost like a, a course. You've learned how to continue. You never stop grieving. You might stop mourning, but you never stop grieving. Mm -hmm. But you've now learned how to do that. And that may be when you say is missing in society, that might be what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think so. Because this gives you the tools you need to go out and, and take that person with you. Liela's always with me. My father is always right up here, especially when I'm driving. But, you know. Yeah. my We have some very good friends and his parents, one is Palestinian and one is Syrian. And they, I think, are more vocal with their grief mm -hmm. too. So they yeah. obviously, all their children were born here in this country. And when Andy died, so we're very close to them. I mean, to the point where we all went on a Disney cruise together. So oh, like nice. his, his, this family, his parents, us and our kids. So our wow. kids would like, we'd go out to dinner and our kids would stay a little bit with his parents. So they were close. <clears throat> and when Andy died, they mourned and really showed that yeah. emotion and were yeah. crying. I mean, his dad was sobbing and he even said to my husband, I've never seen my dad do that. It kind of scared me because I never saw him do that. And I've talked to his mom just recently about how she mourned after her mother died. And she said, I scared my boys. They, they were all scared. They didn't know. She said, mm. I had to cry like that. I had yeah. to sob and cry like that. And she did that for, I think she said probably close to a month. She felt like she would like just get and sob. So they're, they're, um, you know, Arabic, but they're Arabic Christians. So they're mm -hmm. from uh, the Christian tradition. But I think that being from the Middle East, they were much more yeah. able to just show that. And it's interesting that it kind of freaked their kids out because their kids are just American. And they don't, they don't get it. Exactly. They haven't seen no. them really mourn in this way. But she said she felt like even though she cried for a month after her mom died in that lament, that raw emotion, yeah. then she felt like even those days she would then just get up and just be right. more normal in her day and be able to do more. And that she felt like she wouldn't have been able to do had she just held it in. Right. I, well, you know, it's interesting about the Middle East. As hot as the weather is, so run the emotions. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, people see it in politics, but it, it's 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 really kind of true. Everything is more emotional here. Everything is more out in the open. Everything is more. Uh, no, nobody's really embarrassed to show their their feelings. Mm -hmm. Men can cry here, and, and everything's fine. And I, I think it's healthy. I I cry. If I cry at work a little bit, like just with somebody, a colleague, something comes up, I start to cry. What do they do? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. They need to like. What have I done? Ah, 
Have I just done? You cry. You need to stop now. Hand no, no, you no. a Kleenex, please. Get rid of those tears. You know. <laughs> like, no, 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 oh, no, no. Please, I wish you weren't so bothered by my crying a little bit because it really—it's not bothering me. They think it's their fault. Yes. They think it's their fault. They think they've done something to you. They haven't. No. I mean, you know, everything is a trigger. It could be anything. You know that. Yeah. In your own, in your own story, things. you know that. The yeah. things. I think that's good. I think that's good. I think if more people got their emotions out, they would be better off facing the rest of us. Yeah. So. Well, and and you know, just having this conversation with these people, two people, they do yeah. feel like it was really helpful to them. And in some ways, I think it was good for their children to see that, to really see that and see that, okay, yeah, mom's doing that, but I guess she's really okay. I guess it's not that she's falling apart and we have to bring her to a mental hospital next month. It's just, that's just the way she's showing her grief and showing her emotion. I'll give you an example of that. My mother-in-law is from Yemen. She was born in Yemen. She came to Israel as a small child. And when she gave birth to my wife and her twin sister, she was between two other women in the room. So she had a really difficult birth. She had two. She herself was not very large. And she was just exhausted. Yeah. And on the one side was, I don't know if she was American or European, but she was, what a wonderful experience. I saw this and it was great and a birth and life. And the, on the other side was a Moroccan woman who was bleeding because she'd been beating herself and slapping it because that's just the way they do it. <laughs> and my poor mother-in-law didn't know where to put herself. What kind of place is this? I guess I'm sort of in the middle. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know. But it's like, ah, and blah. <laughs> so. so what I what I want to talk to you about before we end up using too much time is we have to talk about your podcast and how oh, let's that, do that came to be and let's just about what you do. Because I owe you, I have to owe you an apology. But you also owe me a little bit of an apology. So I owe you an Whatever. apology. I know what you're going to say, though. I know what you're going to say. Yes, because I started looking for a podcast in 2019, about May of 2019, April or May. And I looked and looked and I could find nothing for bereaved parents. I could find nothing. Since and I told my husband, there's nothing there. And he looked and he said, there's nothing there. And so then I decided to start one. But in all actuality, you were there. Yeah, but you owe me an apology because you are not easy to find because you did not have a name like you do now. That's true. If you have a name and, and like will, you do now, I, I will reveal the true story of yes. believe but still me. Yes. <laughs> the true honest to goodness story. All right. <laughs> okay, so you talk about it. I've apologized to you. So And I have and I will apologize to you. I am apologizing <laughs> to you right now. Okay. I, I don't know if wait, there's enough room for me to get on my knee here. There I go. Okay. <laughs> I, I have apologized. We have a very dear friend in common, Anna Jaworski. Yes. And Anna Jaworski is the mother of Hearts Unite the Globe, which is a nonprofit organization and it's all about families with children with heart defects, which is how I know her. Actually, we know each other from before that because in the, in the ancient days of the internet, before we could see each other, we had listservs. Do you remember mm-hmm. listserv? I you do, yes. Email. Mm-hmm. I could write it here and 800 other family members could get it in seconds later. Wow, what a great miracle. idea. Yeah. So, <laughs> miracle. So we had we were both members of uh, I think it was called the Children's Heart Information Network, later became the Children's Health Information Network. I don't know if it's around anymore. But we would get we had 800 families who were members from around the world and we would trade stories. Sometimes we would 
argue and sometimes we would just comfort each other but it was a really big worldwide family and Anna and I met there At some point Anna went off to found Heart Unite the Globe and to start her podcast called Heart to Heart with Anna which is still on mm-hmm. it's now let's see I'm five years I think she's I think she's just she just finished her eighth year and it's all about families with children with heart defects and it's great information if anybody's listening now Heart to Heart with Anna Mm-hmm. Go there, Heart to Unite the Globe. There's information, really good stuff that you need to know if you're uh, a parent of a child with a heart defect or if you're a self, an adult with a, with a congenital heart defect. You need to go and find out about Heart to Unite the Globe. So that's one thing. After Liel died, Anna contacted me and asked me if I would be a guest on her show and talk about Liel, which you can see I love to do. So, yeah, I did that. And when it was over, she said, Michael, I want to do a series short series on parents who've lost children through heart defects could you host that because i she said she said she's not bereaved she doesn't feel that she yeah. could host it right since i like to talk she said could you host it i said well, how many do you want she said i want 12 episodes i want one a month for about a year i said well i'll give you three if i'm still alive we'll do 12 yes. and we now just i'm editing a program with you today yes. And yes. you're the first program in year number six. Mm-hmm. So everyone should go listen to my program and they should listen to you because. So, but it was called Heart to Heart with Michael. It was called Heart to Heart with Michael because Anna had this great idea that every show that Hug would produce would be called Heart to Heart, Heart with to somebody. Heart with. So there was, mm-hmm. there was Heart to Heart with Anna, which was the mother show and then there was heart to heart with michael and then we had another one with two adult two adults with congenital heart defect and it was their name as well as always everything was heart to heart and after about five years of this or four years of this yeah after about four years of this we said you know people aren't finding us on the search Mm -hmm. (laughs) after may 2018 when i was looking right after that we've been on for a year Mm-hmm. So we're not coming up in the search. We could get better numbers and serve more people if we could put grief or bereavement in the name of the program. Let's try that again. So for a year, we were, well, before that, we were searching for a name. We could not find a name. There are so many podcasts now about grief. We could not find a name with the word grief that wasn't already taken. Uh-huh. Okay. We came up with some joke names, which I think maybe I'd best avoid, but <clears throat> well, one of them, I can't believe it's not grief, but still <laughs> we couldn't find a way to get the word grief into the name of the show. So how are they going to find us? So we started thinking of other names and we asked our, our listeners to help and we put up a few different options and they voted. And the one that won was bereaved, but still me, which I think is a pretty good description. I love that name. Mm-hmm. Because it says, okay, I am changed. I have been through a life-changing event, but I'm still who I am. I'm still who I was. But I've changed, but it's still me in there. So we came up with Bereaved, but still me. And Sal, suddenly people are finding us. It's a lot easier. Ratings are up. You found us. Everybody's happy. Yeah, it's much, much better. It's similar when I decided to do my podcast my husband said, well, what about a name? And I immediately said, always Andy's mom. Because that's what and I that know, works. always Andy's mom. And he said, no, no, you need more than that because no one will find you if you're just always Andy's mom. So oh, like if you know, yeah. my official title is losing a child, 
always Andy's mom. Andy's mom. Okay. Because I had to put that losing a child in there now on right. Instagram and, then that- and Facebook and Twitter, all that stuff. I'm just always Andy's mom. But if you look on the podcast player, the official title is losing a child Always Andy's Always mom. Because again, I don't think you would have as easy of time finding it. Now, I mean, maybe yeah. it would be even better if it had bereaved or grief in it. I'm not sure. But losing a child, child loss, that's pretty That's pretty close. And people find it. But the other thing is that it, it, you created a very specific niche. It's for people who've lost children. Right. Which is a pretty big niche. Now, let's not belittle that. One of the things that I'm grateful to Hearts Unite the Globe for their executive board, one thing that I'm grateful for is they allowed us to expand the definition of grief. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to stay only in the congenital heart defect world, which is nice because my first my first complaint was, look, if I'm only going to deal with children with congenital heart defects who have died, then it's sort of looking like part one and part two, heart to heart with Anna, and then you graduate to Michael. We We didn't want that kind of a... You know, we didn't want that kind of definite finality to congenital heart defects in a generation where kids are living forever with congenital heart defects. So we certainly didn't want to do that. So they allowed me to expand out, but I still have to touch it from time to time. That's fair. And that's really good. But then we've expanded it. We did some some shows with members of the Fire Sign Theater, and I'm hoping that when I say that name, I'm touching some people my age in America who grew up with it. It's underground comedy from the 70s. We, we talked to them because they were four guys in a group, a comedy group, and two of them have died. And I spoke to the other two individually to talk about friends of theirs who had died after 50 years of working together. That's certainly grief. Mm-hmm. And they're not family. They're not related. And then we, we got even further afield. I had a very interesting guest. She was on twice. She's a psychologist, and she said, everybody's grieving something. Mm-hmm. Grief isn't necessarily the loss of a person. And then she went on to say, I was... I was abused as a child, and I lost certain goals, certain ideals, who I was. That's grief. Mm-hmm. And then we suddenly realized grief really touches everybody. My friends, some of my friends, their first reaction was, I'll never listen to your show. Thank God I've got everybody. I don't need that. And I hope if they're listening, grief touches everybody sometime, somehow, somewhere. Well, And I would say during this time of pandemic, every. Everybody oh, yeah. is grieving something. Everybody is. Our <laughs> lives, nobody's life is the same as what it was 18 months ago. You are absolutely right. Everybody's grieving something. So. And we didn't see that coming, right? In no. 2017? No. No. Not even at all. So any more uh, words that you want to say about your podcast or kind of your grief journey? Yeah, we're a monthly podcast. We come uh-huh. out on the first Thursday of every month. Thursday, just like me. So just so you know, yes, yes. Listen to you first and then come on over <laughs> and I'm still here. And and the beauty of, of podcasting is it streams forever and ever and ever. We are literally on until either the end of days or until Hug runs out of money to archive it. Either way. Yeah. <clears throat> so you can catch up. We've been doing this now for five years. You can scroll down the list and see which ones interest you. Maybe not everyone, maybe... Maybe yes, maybe no. It's monthly, so you've got plenty of time to listen to it. And if you miss it, don't worry. We're still around the next month. Uh, Every month on the first Thursday of the month, we put up the new one. And in January, we have, let me see, who do we have? Some doctor person. (laughs) Oh, it's you. Oh, it's me. It's you. And as when this one is released... Mine yeah. with you will have been on for a week. So now I'm there going to go. plug, we're going to plug that. that oh, thank a you. week, go on right now. 
right now, if you listen to this, the one with me <laughs> on Bereaved But Still Me is there. It's there waiting for you. And, so. and I got to tell you, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm editing it right now. Today, I was editing it. It's really good. <laughs> A lively we'll, cast. we'll see how you feel about this one now the other way so michael and i too i'm just going to say this michael is much more of a planner than i am that yep. michael likes everything sort of scripted out a little bit and i think it's been bothering him that i am a little more freewheeling and i just say we're just going to talk for an hour and not have it uh kind of figured out exactly what we're going to say but hopefully you feel like it went okay today i was not worried that you would run out of things to say <laughs> I don't. I don't run out of things to say. It and works I don't out generally fine every either. time. I don't generally run out either. You said this on my show. I'm going to give a little teaser. I asked you to tell me something about Andy, and you said, Oh, remember? What, what did I say? Something I said, specific? oh, that's easy. I love talking about oh, my yes, children. Of course. Everybody loves talking about their children. So I come I on and you say, tell me about Liel. Sure. <laughs> Can we do this a two-parter? So yes, yes. I thought, is it something specific? I said a lot of specific things about it. So now I'm racking my brain. No, it's just that general. You said a lot of really it. nice, wonderful things. It's a pleasure to listen to you. We don't use video yet. We're still toying with the idea. But it is a pleasure to hear your voice. And you have some really important things to say and some very compelling stories to share. And it's just so you know much. what? I'd like to say it's a pleasure. It's not because we're all here for the wrong reasons, right? right. Mm-hmm. We're all here because we. this is a club we didn't ask to join, but we're in it. As long as we're in it, make the best. we might as well surround ourselves with other amazing people and learn from each Thank other. Thank you. Right? Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And I loved, I just learned so much from you. I love talking to you. So thank oh, you I'm so blushing. much for your knowledge. <laughs> no, thank I you. love it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm always happy to come back. Well, that may happen, actually. I'm partway through and I'm thinking, I could talk to this guy again. No problem. Ooh, yeah, sure. No problem. I may, you ask, may have already. Ask me something else. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again so much. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. And it's a pleasure to be here with you. And and what's particularly nice is that as a guest, I am not in control and I don't have to be in control. Just have a good time. It's a pleasure to be a guest. Trust me. It's great. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.